Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 67th episode, I'll be talking to Emily Pearson, illustrator, comic book artist, and concept artist, about art, comic books, and moving from one to the other. Along the way, we laud the power of a comic book layout, talk about how every comic could be someone's first, and how zombies made of flowers are nowhere near as cute as you'd think. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and let you know how you can become a guest on The Math of You. We join this conversation already in progress. you may not know you why don't you say who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake <laughs> i'm emily pearson i'm a comic books artist from california i'm working on a comic book called the wilds right now with vita ayala and that's basically my life right now it's pretty fun because <laughs> the book's coming out soon right it's- yeah it's coming out on february 28th and then the final order cut for Diamond is on January 8th, so. Very cool. So it's coming out pretty soon. I imagine you're at kind of like high-key readiness right now. Yeah, definitely ready. I'm super excited to work on this. In setting up for the episode, I had a quick look through your resume and things like that. And there's a bunch of stuff in there. There's some stuff for Vault Comics and there's some other comics work that you've done. But there's one I can't really go past. Tell me about Rabbit Chef. <laughs> Oh, well, okay, so, oh my gosh, when I was about 18 or 19, I was looking for a lot of commission work, and this really, like, he ended up being a really cool guy. He contacted, I think either I contacted him or he contacted me, and he wanted me to do illustrations for his children's book, and it was basically... (laughs) It's this cute story about a, a rabbit that enters a cooking competition, I think. And they have, like, a, a best friend that's a fox. <laughs> it's just super fun to do. Although, by the way, kids, if you're at all squeamish, do not Google Rabbit Chef because you will get nothing but cooked rabbit. <laughs> just totally yeah. not what you should be looking for. I mean... <laughs> I think it's on Amazon if you want to Google it there, but maybe not Google Images. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, let's start with the basics. Whereabouts did you grow up? I grew up in Santa Rosa, California, and I still live here. It's a kind of small but good town. It's really nice. We have two local comic shops here, and so it's a really good place to grow up. It's definitely one of those towns where everyone you know knows someone that you know, but then there's also a bunch of new people to meet. Okay, so like a six, six degrees of separation kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So where is the line between Southern California and Northern California? I don't know these oh, things. Man. I'm not from the States. I'd say like San Jose is probably the middle. I'd say maybe if you go anywhere past San Jose, it becomes Southern California. Okay, so Santa Rosa is officially Northern California. Yeah, it's definitely Northern California. It's up by San Francisco. 
So these two comic shops, was there any kind of like terrifying rivalry the way there is between like, you know, these tiny towns of 70 people in the UK that will have like six pubs that all hate each other? <laughs> that would be very cool. I don't think there is. Uh... <laughs> no, I mean, they're, they're both relatively small. You know, they have like as many books as people are willing to buy. They're both really good comic shops. I go to one called Outer Plains a little bit more because it's it's a little closer to where I live and it's more downtown, so you can get other stuff done there. But it's they're both great comic shops, and I think it's one of those scenes I remember. So we have like a, a street market in my town every summer, and when I was in high school, I used to go to that a lot with my friends. One day I was just following my friend, and she ended up wanting to go to the comic book store, and I was like, I didn't get into comics fairly late. I'd say I got into it maybe when I was about... 14 or so and so I was you know I was about like 13 or 14 and we were in the comic book store I'm like oh my gosh I'm so nervous this is so it's like nerd territory I don't know what I'm doing here (laughs) and so I ended up really liking the store and going back fairly often with my friends yeah there is that fear because it's like I'm kind of in a similar boat in that I didn't get into reading actual comics apart from just random things until I was pretty much like almost like maybe 20 because I frankly didn't have much money so I used to just kind of graze at my local shop when I was like 14 till they kicked me out and then whatever you know random issues people would give me or lend me and so I remember in high school going into a comic book shop and yeah having that same feeling of being like I am not up to date on what's happening I'm so lost of course it was also what 1998 so it was (laughs) there was a lot of stuff I didn't recognize with very shiny covers and lots of guns on it. And I just looked around like, I don't know if I should be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a little intimidating. I mean, it's great reading a comic and having like, the series is like, been going on for like five years and it's never going to stop. And it's like a Chris Claremont deal. If you're new to that, it's super intimidating. You go into a scene like that and you just, you just don't know where to start. And you talk to like a cashier and they're like, okay, well, this new story arc starts at like, you know, issue number 56 or something like that. It's like, I'm not sure if I should start in the middle of a story like that. So like even now, it's one of those things where there's a comic shop near my work, which I will occasionally buy from when they have sales, but mostly won't because, as I have detailed many times in this show, buying floppy issues in Australia is ludicrously expensive. And so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm talking between 9 and $12 an issue. Especially this particular shop, they do a US to Australian conversion, but they also do that on their trades, which no other shop that I've been to does. So you take a $25 trade, and suddenly it's a $45 trade, and I'm like, no, I'm not buying that. <laughs> but I went in, and they occasionally will do like when they're clearing their back issues they'll do a blind bundle of stuff they'll be like okay 10 bucks for 10 issues of bat family stories or you know 10 bucks for this many x-men issues and i bought the batman one just on a whim because i had 10 bucks in my pocket and i went oh whatever you know i'll have a flip through and it was sort of the tail end of the new 52 stuff and a few from before and i picked them up and i thought this would be a fun experiment because none of them are sequential, none of them are from the same series. They're all just random issues. So I picked them up and I attempted to read them. And there was not a single one where I could make sense of the story. Because (laughs) every one of them was part three of six, or part four of five, and none of them even had recaps at the beginning. Like, some would start mid-conversation. Like, the first page was six panels of Nightwing having a conversation with someone. And I'm just like, wait, who is the... Why are the... And even with the grounding that I have in comics at the moment, I was still looking at it like, okay, I'm lost. I can't imagine somebody picking this up as their first comic. 
Yeah, it's like, that's the thing too. For the first couple of years I started reading comics, I did like exactly the same thing where I would just, I wouldn't care about the order. I would just buy them and, you know, read them through. And like, I didn't have a problem with it. Like, I was just super happy to try all these different characters and all these different comics. And then, yeah, I actually, I actually started reading Nightwing. I think it's one of my first ones. Oh, coincidence. Yeah, it's, I think Devin Grayson's run was like the first like series that I picked up. And it was really great. Cool. Well, growing up in Santa Rosa, as you did with your two comic book stores, <laughs> what sort of kid were you? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I was, I was very like. Oh my gosh. I was the kind of kid that like wasn't really sure what I was interested in. Like I would follow what my friends were into and kind of go after what they liked. And so growing up I didn't have, you know, family or friends that were anyone who was into comic books. So I didn't get into it for a very long time. But when I was a kid I was, you know, super interested in stuff like you know, cartoons and art because that's kind of stuff you talk about when you're kids. Maybe not art, but definitely cartoons. <laughs> And so it's weird because I was one of those kids that's kind of like shy in front of new people, but I was also super loud around people I knew. <laughs> so yeah, and it's kind of interesting that it took me a while to actually start figuring out what I actually wanted to be interested in, what I actually liked. Yeah, and you'll find that that's, frankly, that's less rare than you think. You get a lot of people, that, at least I've found in this show, who, again, within their comfort zone can be very gregarious but when taken out of that comfort zone, tend to, to close up a little bit. I mean, I myself was one of them until about the age of, say, 17 or 18, where, yeah, I could be very loud and gregarious with my friends and be, you know, very talkative and funny and stuff. And then you put me in a new situation and I would just, like, go quiet and just observe people. And so, yeah, it's something that you'll find. Now, when you're talking about, you know, trying lots of different things, what sort of things were, I'm not going to say I want to hear about the failures, but what sort of things were you, like, dipping your toe into? When I was a kid? Yeah. Oh boy. I had tried everything. I was, I knew I was really interested in like art related stuff. So I was really interested in music and, you know, visual arts and any sort of like, I guess, entertainment related theme. I had a long period of time when I was a kid where I was really interested in music. And then I had a period where I was interested in becoming a photographer and like a writer and all this different stuff. So it's just like, I knew that like, I wanted to do something creative. And I was interested in doing creative stuff when I was a kid just as a hobby. But it's kind of weird looking back on it because I was drawing the whole time when I was a kid. And I was, for some reason, I didn't really catch on to that being what I wanted to do. It didn't come till actually around the time I started reading comics where I started realizing that I, I loved drawing that much. I could see it almost like the drawing has kind of been ubiquitous for you and it didn't cross your, all right, what am I doing? What am I interested in? And meanwhile, the whole time there's drawing kind of continuous, just like slightly to the left. Yeah, basically. So before you got into comics, what sort of things were you drawing? I think a lot of illustration stuff. A lot of the time in high school when I was trying to figure out what exactly in art I wanted to do, I was just doing a lot of just stuff that interested me in drawing like portraits and different things like that. More so when I was younger, I was so weird to think about. I was, <laughs> I was drawing cartoons of like my animals and stuff like that. And that's mainly what I did. And then I kind of stepped away from that again when I was in high school and started doing different types of art. And then went back to that when I was around 17 or 18 and started doing comics. So it's like, 
it's one of those things where, you know, you never think about when you're growing up that I want to do comic book art. You just draw. And so sometimes that looks like comics and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, a lot of the time I was just drawing from, like, characters from books I read or just different stuff that interested me at the time. And had you done any study of drawing or was it just something that you just started doing and continued? I studied it a bit in high school. I took an art class that was... I went to a high school that had a specialized arts program. And so I took a drawing class there for about three years where we learned techniques, fundamentals for about two hours every day. That really helped me improve a lot in high school from the point where I I didn't know how to hold a pencil. No, to the point where I could kind of almost make it look like a real human. <laughs> Maybe the most self-deprecating way I've heard someone <laughs> describe gaining talent in a, in a skill. <laughs> yeah, I could almost sort of kind of succeed at the thing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Were your parents sort of supportive of this? Like, did they see you and go, oh, that's just Emily drawing again? Or were they going, no, you could do this as a career because I've had a few artists on the show and it really tends to split down the middle whether it was yes you should do this or yes you can do this as long as you do something else as well. Yeah so my parents were really supportive of me growing up the whole time is just like whatever I wanted to do no matter like how crazy it was of a career they support it. So when I started drawing, it was nothing new. Because I'm like one of those kids, I was one of those kids that was just, you can follow your dreams and you can do anything. You can be like a, a famous like actor or like a musician or a rock star or anything. So I was just, <laughs> I watched a lot of Disney Channel. So like <laughs> growing up, I was just like, if I want to do a career that's very, very hard to get into, that's something that can be done if I work really hard at it. So my parents, when I started doing art, it wasn't anything new to them. And so they were really supportive of that. I think more than anything, they were kind of excited about it because, you know, I've been drawing this whole time and I hadn't really been practicing that much, but I kept doing it every now and then. So you could still see the art improving as I got older. So it's, yeah, I mean, my parents never had a moment where they were like, you should be like a doctor or a lawyer and be an artist on the side. (laughs) They've always like, supported me doing whatever crazy career I was into at the moment. Awesome. That's actually really nice and refreshing to hear. (laughs) And I'm going to ask a question and you may not have an answer because it's something that just kind of stuck with me because I'm a photographer as well. And I had kind of trouble accepting the label of being a photographer or being an artist because like I had a lot of kind of internal blocks around oh, well, in order to call yourself an artist, you have to have done these things. You have to have studied these things. So when you went from drawing is a thing you do to being, okay, I'm an illustrator, I'm an artist, was there any kind of like roadblock or was it just kind of like flipping a switch? It was honestly like deciding that I wanted to do art was like flipping a switch, but I do know what you mean by saying like, it's hard to just be like, oh, I'm an artist, because it's like, what does that even mean? (laughs) That could be a hundred different things. For me, like, saying something like, you know, I'm an illustrator, like, I'm a comic book artist, it's more specific. It's easier to explain, but it also, it makes me feel a little bit less pretentious than saying, like, you know, I'm an artist, and then they actually figure out that I'm just drawing comics all day. (laughs) It's only pretentious if you throw out your arms and are like, I am an artist. (laughs) exactly by the way kids anybody listening at home a real good thing to make you feel better about that business cards just saying (laughs) 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's one thing to have a website. It's one thing to be paid for your work. But when you can take a card out of your wallet and hand it to someone and go, hi, I'm a photographer, it does heaps for your self-esteem. It also helps if you have a hard time talking to people, you can just hand them the card and shuffle away really fast. <laughs> Don't have to introduce yourself at all. The card says, yeah, I, I may not have been able to talk to you, but here's my deal. <laughs> So initially when we were setting up the show, you had said you'd wanted to talk about specifically art and comics and kind of how you got into them and your road from one to the other. So let's start talking about that. Where did you begin? The transition from art to comics kind of happened like gradually over time. I started reading comics and then I started trying to figure out what kind of field I wanted to get into with art because... There's like tons of different things you can do as an artist and there's like tons of different things to get good at. So it, it was important for me to find one that I really enjoyed the most. And it kind of became clear to me that comics comics is like the best to me. <laughs> and it's weird thinking that like I even considered anything else at this point because I was like one of those kids. Like as a kid I would go through a lot of different obsessions and be like, Okay, this week I'm into Disney princesses and this week I'm really into like Harry Potter or something like that. And so <laughs> it carried over to where my parents still had that impression of me when I was a teenager and so when I started getting into comics they're just like, You'll be done with this in like a month or so and so the fact that comics like stick around like up until now, it's just like, well, this is the most important to me. And this is, you know, something I really enjoy. It's just, it was a different feeling reading comics and everything else because with comic books, I'll read a terrible comic book and I'll still love it. Like, <laughs> even if it's like got the most terrible writing and it's got like really terrible art and everything, I love the way it feels to read a comic book. So it not only stood out to me more than anything else, but it just kind of felt like it fit. Yeah, there is something about the medium and it's something that I'm thinking about more and more as I kind of read about the making of comics and people who are really good at comics and why certain comics work the way they do. And it's something around kind of how your eye crosses a page or the reveal of a page turn and how that can really, I think that'll hit you more than reading a sentence in a book or something like that. But then there's also stuff like just kind of great, what I can think of as great dumb comic stuff. <laughs> you know, you'll occasionally read something and you'll go, that's ridiculous, but that is 100% comic books. And it's like, I love that. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. Like the comic book cheesiness is just my favorite like I'll, <laughs> I'll just like start like reading a comic book and then you know a friend will like look over my shoulder and like like that's the cheesiest like narration i've ever seen it's like no it, it's totally great like <laughs> you don't understand <laughs> it's amazing but yeah like panel layouts and stuff like that go especially like in the past like 10 or 20 years there's been some amazing comic book artists figuring out some new ways to tell stories like pretty deadly i'm not sure if you read that before oh yes 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 oh my gosh it's so it's so gorgeous and just the way like Maria sees is like the different the insert panels and then the splash panels to go back and forth between different like tones is just it's crazy it's amazing this is one where I've actually brought it up a few times and it stands as one of the comic books where whenever I have a physical copy I will shove it at people and kind of slap it with the back of my hand and go look at it look at it look how good it is <laughs> and that is Sandman Overture with J.H. Williams III doing these incredible every double page is a single image where the image shapes the panels uh, for example like 
it'll be Destiny holding a book and the panel, that will be the entire page. And in the book are the individual panels of what's happening. And then as you turn the page, you then see him retreat in the distance and you have a whole new set. There's like one particular one, which I always come back to, which is where you've got the Corinthian who has little mouths for eyes. The entire page is like a smile and there's eight teeth at the front of the smile and each tooth is the panel. And because <laughs> each tooth is in black and white, what's happening and the panel gutters are in red, like for the gums. And it's kind of horrifying and amazing and beautiful. And it's one of those things which I read that book like four years ago. And I got it from my library to see it physically as opposed to digitally. And I just sat there and I just like, you know, laid it down on my couch and took pictures from above and just put it on Twitter being like, look at it. Look, it's ridiculous. <laughs> or I'm going to look this up because I want to get the names right. It's the work that Vanessa Del Rey was doing on the Scarlet Witch series. Mm. With these really stark kind of really heavily messing with these sort of chaotic panels across the pages and letting the dialogue kind of carry you through. And then occasionally you'll get this double page spread that's just sort of chaotic, but somehow still your eye can follow. Like at no point do you get to the stage where you're like, it's an incomprehensible mess. Yeah, I feel like that's one of the biggest problem, problems when a new reader picks up a comic book is they'll just open it up and it'll confuse them so much to look at everything that's going on. So, I mean, if you can do the storytelling really well and have the reader go through the page without having to double check and figure out what's going on, that's a sign of someone that's doing a really good job. And this is going to sound blasphemous, but it's something that I've always thought about because digital comics were so important in getting me to try new things because they are far cheaper than physical comics here in Australia. But it's something where it's like, I know there are people who will roll their eyes at the guided view, but occasionally on some stuff, like for example, when I was reading the Jamie McKelvey Young Avengers, there are some of those panels that are so complicated and so detailed <laughs> and there's so much stuff going on that having a guided view that will like zoom around the different things and show you the order that things are meant to happen will occasionally be a way to like let the thing actually play out as opposed to being this kind of overwhelming giant brick of information. It allows you to parse stuff, but it, and it also does the thing where, and I've tried to explain this to people and they don't quite get it. It allows for a movie style reveal sometimes where it's like, you'll go, you'll finish a page and you'll get like someone with a dialogue bubble. And then you tap ahead and it will zoom out to a double page spread in which that figure is a tiny, tiny little figure. And it allows for that kind of oomph in a way that sometimes a page turn doesn't because you get the big thing before the small thing, you know? Yeah, I definitely know what you mean. I used to read a lot of digital comics as well just because there's a lot of older comics that are hard to find. And so it's nice to have a digital library because you don't have to reprint old X-Men comics that like not that many people are going to buy unless they're reading the whole series again or something like that. So it's, I do remember really liking going between each panel, but it, it does kind of hurt to not see the <laughs> whole page at once sometimes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. By the way, I'm just dropping one of those Scarlet Witch pages into the chat. Gosh, that's so insane. And yet you, oh can my still, gosh. you can still follow it, though. Yeah, it's really amazing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's giving me anxiety just thinking about, like, all the buildings <laughs> that they had to paint. And just for fun, I'm going to throw in one of those J.H. Williams III layouts. And I'm like, I have to pick one. There are too many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, here you go. Oh, man, I love stuff like this. Oh, that's so cool. And yeah, then here, here's the one with the, the book that I mentioned. Where Man, like... how would that even like show up on Comixology? Like if you viewed each panel one by one, like would... Yeah, you don't get the whole thing. 
That's cool. <laughs> Gosh, cinnamon is so good. <laughs> yes. Because J.H. Williams is a prince, I mentioned it and just mentioned, like, added him, and he instantly came back with, thank you. And I'm just like, ah, don't, you're supposed <laughs> to see that. You're supposed to be too big to see anything like this that I say when I just, like, <laughs> sort of shout about how good you are. Oh, and here is the last one that I'll send you, which is the teeth panel I was talking about, which gets me every friggin' time. it's so so creepy but it's so good yep and yeah it's like that is an entire like double page spread that you get oh my god and each one flows into the next whereas because it starts with that where you're within the teeth and the next step is it's all in black and white and there's one where because it's a dream someone has like a portcullis for a face and on the page before you see a portcullis and every panel is within the squares of the portcullis and you turn the page and you see it's someone's face and they are within the next one. And so it all kind of flows and it just like, it hurts your brain a little bit. Oh my gosh. There's a comic called The Dregs, mm-hmm. which is you know, another Black Mask book. And it's just like, <laughs> the art on that book is just insane. Like, I, I don't want to spoil it, but like the last couple of pages he's doing this thing and like the perspective is like warped but it's also like fisheye and it's like oh my gosh (laughs) it's the same sort of thing where it just blows your mind like i don't know even how you came up with this but the fact (laughs) that you came up with this and you did it perfectly like it's crazy Because it's just one of those things where it's like, it's the joys of the comic book medium where you can do stuff to play with perspective and you can do stuff to play with time and how it moves. And anyone, if you're not listening to, there's a podcast called Under the Hood where Hassan and Karen go, literally each episode is one page of Watchmen. And just Hmm. like, and there's something where it's like, and and I, I don't know if anyone but me has put this kind of thought into these kind of things, but the way I've heard that Alan Moore would use to script would be like these huge blocks of text. And I know this because I've read lots of Neil Gaiman books where he talks about learning how to script from Alan Moore and how he kind of wishes he had learned from somebody else, even though it's it's how his books were created. Because, and things though, it's like if you're telling this artist so much about what needs to be on every shelf of the room what needs to be on every poster on every wall what needs to be seen versus what's not seen like that much detail goes into it and and what i think is like does that reduce the collaborative nature of the partnership you know if you're dictating so much to the artist does that reduce because i love reading about uh, ryan north and erica and is erica henderson on squirrel girl think so yeah. yeah i always forget it's like they're like three ericas and <laughs> how they have this really collaborative like oh he'll come up with something and she'll draw something and he'll come up with something new based on that or chip zadarsky and matt fraction or david haha and matt fraction like doing this kind of marvel method thing where it's like one will encourage the other which will encourage the other and you get this kind of really collaborative book at the end and i just worry that that level of scripting becomes prescriptive rather than helpful i don't know this is the kind of stuff that i think about <laughs> Yeah, like, I think it really entirely depends on the artist. Like, I've heard, like, all different types of... Like, uh, Sean Murphy, for example, I've heard that he completely needs to script out the entire thing before he can draw it. And, you know, there's some people that do, like, working off the Marvel method where you have as little description as possible and then you can go in and draw the whole thing. And it just... It depends on, like... Because for some people, having, like, a, a minimal script means that that's a lot more work for them where they'll have to like sketch out a bunch of different stuff and they'll have to put a lot more hours into the work and for some people it's just naturally the way they draw is they just like coming up with half of it as they go it depends on the artist i think for sure because i mean it's one thing having like a script 
that describes everything in a room and you have to draw it perfectly or else you've got to send it back and work on it again. If the artist is into that, then that's like a dream for them. So it really depends. What about you? How do you work when it it comes to that kind of stuff? Do you prefer to get lots of information or? I kind of like keeping it somewhere to minimal information, but still have some work to go off. Like I prefer, unless I'm like writing a story myself, Mm -hmm. I prefer to have the writer put in the panel counts and then have like some minimal description of what's going on. I like to know like what's going on with the characters and how they're feeling in that scene. But other than that, I like to have free reign over what's going on. I'm working with Vita right now and she's just scripting it perfectly. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so nice. Which is actually a nice segue. So tell me a bit about the new book. Yeah, so it's The Wild. It's getting published through Black Mass Studios and it's coming out February 28th. So it's a, it's a story about a, a woman named Daisy Walker who's in an apocalyptic setting where there was a plague that happened about 10 years ago and everyone that got touched by the plague would turn into these creature mutations called abominations and they're basically like flower zombies they uh, <laughs> they have plants growing out of their skin i'm gonna briefly interrupt because the minute you said flower zombies my first thought was like a plants versus zombies zombie with like a big <laughs> sunflower growing out of his head and then i started to think about it and i got slowly and slowly more horrified <laughs> it's yeah i mean it's a little similar to that i wouldn't say it's necessarily plants versus zombies <laughs> less cute more horrifying got it <laughs> yeah so it has these flower zombies and they have people infected have flowers growing out of their skin or they have other plants growing out of their skin daisy walker is a runner for a compound and so what that means is she goes and gets the way they describe it is it's somewhere between the black market and the postal service <laughs> <laughs> so which i just i love that description <laughs> Very good. So she goes and she runs and trades and she salvages goods. Her partner goes missing, so she has to find her. Well, I'm certainly sold. Now, I was going to ask, with the abominations, now, I think every artist has their things that they love to draw and hate to draw. Like, I've heard it said that, you know, some people hate to draw horses. Some people hate to draw cars. Some people hate buildings with a million windows. So was it, like, fun coming up with abomination designs, or was it one of those things where you're like, ugh, I have to draw another another thing with flowers (laughs) coming out of him? No, it's totally fun. I'm actually, it's interesting, because I hate drawing zombies. (laughs) Like, I find it, I don't know, I love... I love drawing gore, and I love drawing people, but I hate drawing zombies, so it's just something weird going on with me. I love drawing abominations. It was really fun, and, you know, I, I always have fun, like, trying to figure out, like, okay, what kind of what kind of plant would work for this person, you know? And, like, like where can I, like, horrify, like, my readers with, like, plants growing out of his eyeball or something like that? I can just picture you walking through a garden center, like, with a notebook, and just being like, <laughs> Japanese peace lily out of eyes check okay good (laughs) yeah it's definitely a dream job to try and horrify as many people as you can (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome this actually sounds like a really good book so i'm definitely gonna have to get my order in not from the comic shop near work from one of the better comic book shops in sydney (laughs) (laughs) well thank you I, i hope you enjoy it all right so just before we wrap up emily i mean we've been talking a lot about a lot of sort of big name comics but if you were to run through a few comics that you think that if people were interested in the kind of stuff we've been talking about, what should they pick up? Let's just do some quick hits. So off the top of your head, what would you recommend? 
Okay, so good comic recommendations would be Heathen by Natasha Altersi. I might be butchering her name. I'm very sorry if I am. Cult Classic by Elliot Rahal, which is going to come out next year. And then another comic that's going to be coming out next year is Our Work Fills the Pews with Vita Ayala. Our Work Fills the Pews is Black Mask and Heathen and Cult Classic are from Vault. And then another comic from Vault, which I really enjoy, is called Spiritist by Tim Daniel. We Can Never Go Home by Chris Sabella, which is published through Boom, I believe. And then Tyson, he's his... Diesel is really good as well. Cool. So Emily, if people wanted to find your stuff on the internet, where would they go? So you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram with the handle at emishlyart, E-M-I-S-H-L-Y, or you can look at my website, emilypearsonart.com. Okay, cool. And yes, everyone keep an eye out for The Wild. And actually, spoiler alert, I'm also going to be having the writer of The Wilds, Vidaela. They are going to be on the show next week so keep an ear out for that all right well thanks very much emily this has been fantastic and i now just want to sit and read comics for the rest of the weekend so this is your fault (laughs) well me too so i guess we'll have a busy weekend all right thanks for coming on the show thank you said it before and i'll say it again that i'll always be here when you need a friend i sat with you on the bedroom floor and I couldn't move all that we were losing I saw you like I never did before I never did before And I can feel you reaching through the cracks A simple change of seasons And your back All the roses in the garden They too black Thank you very much to Emily Pearson for her time And make sure you go and pre-order The Wilds at your local comic book store for Emily's signature cocktail, she had very specific instructions. She said, for cocktails, she's kind of a baby, and she likes sweet, fruity, girly drinks like Midori Sours or Blue Hawaiians. Emily, there's absolutely nothing to be ashamed about. Those are delicious drinks, and it gives me an excuse yet again to break into my tiki library. And honestly, with the subject of the episode, there's really only one place I'm going. I'm flipping all the way back to the Zed, because we're making zombies. Now, there are as many different versions of the zombie as there are different bartenders in the world. But I gotta tell you, a lot of them are too sweet, or have too much fruit juice in them, or, God forbid, they're just too strong. Sorry, guy, you can't put five shots of rum into a drink and expect me to come back. Christ, man, some of us gotta work tomorrow. I've started with Trader Vic's version, and I've worked back from there for something that I think is quite palatable. And so I present The Violet Zombie. In a blender with crushed ice, combine one ounce of white rum, one ounce of dark rum, one and a half ounces of orange juice, one ounce of lemon juice, a quarter ounce of lime juice, a quarter ounce of grenadine, and an ounce of blue curacao. Blend until smooth and combined, and pour into a hurricane glass or tiki mug. Garnish with a sprig of mint, and if you got one, a flower. This is a restrained version of the overpowered knockout punch of yesteryear, and far less likely to leave you feeling like the living dead. Enjoy!
The Math of You is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every Wednesday evening, and if you'd like to be a guest on the show, simply send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. Just to let you know, I am taking submissions for the new year. You can follow the show on Twitter at The Math of You, and you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram, and Lokified82 on Snapchat. If you have a few dollars kicking around and would like to directly support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Lokified and pledge as little as a dollar a month. Hey, isn't that great? Patreon pulled back their awful fees, so now you can pledge a dollar again. Or, you know, as much as you want. I, w- I wouldn't stop you. Patrons get early access to episodes, cursive tweets, physical mail, and I just really, really appreciate it. If you'd like to support in a non-monetary way, you can head to iTunes in the country of your choice and leave a five-star rating. It helps people find the show. Or you can write a review, and I'll read it out. Won't that be nice? And remember, if you're in a different country than the US or Australia, let me know and I'll check the iTunes store for that country. If you like the music I play on the show, there's a Spotify playlist for that. You can go to bit.ly slash themathofyou, with capitals at the beginning of each word to find the Spotify playlist going all the way back to episode one with every song I've ever used in the show, including this one. It's Super Duper Rescue Heads by Deer Hoof. I update the playlist as soon as the new episode goes live, so make sure you subscribe to get that new music in your ears. Next week, as teased on the show, I'll be talking to writer Vita Ayala, who just so happens to be the writer of The Wilds, drawn by Emily Pearson, And we'll be talking about stuff and things. There's not really a topic. You'll see next week. Join me, won't you? It's been a hell of a week in the old Robert Brown household. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if you saw on my Twitter, we've got a five-month-old baby. And this week, I was told by a doctor that I have pneumonia. Oh, wow. And not like the fun pneumonia where it's like, okay, you go to the hospital and you get better. It's actually referred to as walking pneumonia, which means you get all the bad stuff. Just They just go, oh, you know, just take some antibiotics, you'll be better. Spoiler, not better. <laughs> oh. Just basically trying to assist in care of a baby while also swapping in and out of those, like, Daiso Japanese germ masks. So I don't, you know, breathe germs upon my infant. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. It's funny, though, because I, I, it's one of those things where it's like I've been sick for like a month. There was like the first week where it's like, okay, I have a, like the worst cold I've had in a long time. And that kind of went away. And then bits of it stayed around. And I'm like, this is weird. I still have this persistent cough. And, you know, I still feel like someone kicked me down off flight of stairs every morning. So I finally go to the doctor and he's like, yeah, you have this. So I went back to my boss. Because there was a whole fiasco where I called to see the place, and I'm like, oh, do you have my test results yet? And they went, oh, it doesn't look like we have all of them. Tell you what, why don't we book you in for Friday? They should be in by then, and you can see the doctor. And I'm like, okay, cool, no problem, 10.30 on Friday. And while I was on the phone, like, with my desk phone at the office to, to make that call, my mobile had a missed call, and so I called it back, and it was the same receptionist. And she was like, oh, one of the others must have been calling you. Let me just check your file. Mutter, 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 urgent. Hey, is it okay if we move you up to tomorrow at 10.30? And I went, uh, y- yes. And so I spent like a whole day just like freaking out. I'm like, what if they say it's cancer? What if they say I have meningitis or something terrible like that? And so I get there and I'm like, oh no, you just have pneumonia. So I go back to my boss who I'd confided all these fears in about how, oh my God, what happens if I have some terminal disease? 
or something and I come back and I go hey boss turns out I have pneumonia huh. it's severe and I've designed bed rest and it's highly contagious and he goes huh interesting and I like let it sit a beat like are, are, are you gonna send me home no I guess not okay I guess I'm staying at work then <laughs> and so then yeah every time I would, I would go to someone they're like what's wrong with you you look really pale I'm like oh I have pneumonia what the hell are you doing here I said well the boss thinks I should stay <laughs> So yeah, there's like a wave of pneumonia that happens at my work afterwards. I'm gonna point to the boss. I'm like, he thought it was a good idea. That's pretty funny. Yeah, I've never had to worry about anything like that severe before. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like it comes around and you go, huh. And what I was thinking is like when I got the, the call where it's like, oh, it's urgent. I'm like, well, best case scenario. And I kept referring to it as the Shibugamu plan, which is a remote town in northern Quebec. But the best case scenario is I walk in and they go, the reason I wanted to call you in is because you have the Shibugamu virus. And that means that you take this vaccine and you'll be good in 48 hours. The reason it was urgent is because you need to have this right now uh, so you don't spread it. I'm like, cool. Well, that was pretty much the result I got. <laughs> Except it wasn't a Shibugamu virus, it was pneumonia. Yeah, I had a, there was a similar issue recently with my boyfriend where in the same week, he accidentally stepped on what he thought was a needle, so he had to go to the ER, and then later in the week, a bag flew under his car, and when he picked it up, it was like a hazardous waste bag, oh, no. so he ended up going to the ER twice for just like, random like, crazy just chances like that. It's like, what do you put on the forum where you're like, hi, I think I'm the beginning of a biohazard game. <laughs> You know, yeah. I'm, I'm the idiot at the beginning of 28 Days Later who picks up the bag and goes, Oh, there's nothing in that. <laughs> but he's part of the montage. Yeah, it's like, what are the chances? <laughs> like, Well, I'll tell you. It's the same with, God, years ago now, I was working with a guy at a bookstore who uh, got pecked in the face by a pigeon. Oh, wow. Like, he was just, like, walking into work, and he startled a pigeon near the door, and it flew up, and it pecked him just under his eye, like, on his cheekbone, and gave a little <laughs> scratch, like, the size of your, like, pinky nail. And he's just like, oh, I'll just put a bandaid on it, it'll be fine. And literally everyone was like, no, go to the doctor right now. <laughs> Have you seen a pigeon lately? <laughs> Do you know where they've been? <laughs> it's just, like, insane when, like, something, like, that random can happen one of those things yeah and you can't really plan for it it's like one of those vectors they, they put in it's like my grandpa used to refer to in any plan there's the hidden five percent that you could not plan for or even think about and so it's like someone mm -hmm. would go uh, oh you know i'm going to do this thing watch out for that five percent which is a very grandpa thing to say let's <laughs> say wait are you one of those artists who are like oh you know i'm bored so i'll do some warm-ups and then turn out these just incredible drawings that make me like <laughs> and throw my paper in the bin. I hope so. I mean, that would be great. <laughs> that's why I hate that when someone's like, oh, you know, just a quick sketchy warm-up. And I'm like, motherfucker. That, that's fantastic. <laughs> I could never do that. It's crazy. I love seeing, like, art from people that are just, like, like, sketches from people that are really, really refinely skilled. Mm -hmm. So it's just everything they do is sketchy, but it's still, like, you know, perfect looking. Like, then it's just the anatomy is, like, perfect and all this different stuff. It's mm -hmm. like, Man, like, I have to work so hard to get that. <laughs> well, yeah, there was a period for about a year, I think, where I was, like, I remember looking and, and like, on a whim, I bought a couple of, like, how to draw books. Just because it's like, I was sitting there going, it's like, I'd love to be able to do this, but I don't just want to sit on Pinterest and try and copy what I see. I want to actually try and learn something. And what I learned is how to draw someone's right eye pretty well, and then try to do other things. And then wait, no, the nose is too big. That makes the eye too small. And I try to do the other eye and no, that doesn't match. 
and oh, I tried the mouth and I got the proportions right, but then the mouth is like on an angle. I've done the straight on mouth instead of the angled face, and I'm just like, oh, I, I don't know how any of you do it. <laughs> it's just like, and luckily, I mean, I'm, I'm a repetition learner, so I was just like banging away. And like I said, I'm real good at drawing someone's right eye. <laughs> That's about as yeah. far as I got in a year. I have the same problem, actually, is when I draw an eye and then it's like, I don't draw them. If I don't draw them at the same time, mm-hmm. I'll like try to do the other one. It's like, oh, this is like taking twice as long and it's like twice as hard because I didn't figure them out together. And it's just, oh my gosh. <laughs> There's an old joke from my kid's book I read when I was little, you know, talking about having lots of potential and how it kind of sucks. Because if you've got potential in lots of things, it doesn't necessarily translate into success later on at those things. So he's like, you know, I was a potential chess prodigy at age six. And I tell you what, I can still kick any six-year-old's ass at chess. <laughs> but I'm 27 now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's something, I mean, when you talk about like just some, of, some people who are just ridiculously talented, what I learned later is that the reason they can look so effortless is because they have put so much effort into becoming effortless. Like, the example I always think of is the late, great Darwin Cook. Mm-hmm whose lines always looked like super clean and just had this like really like sort of light painterly style. And I would look at it and go, I'm like, that's three lines that make that eye. Or it's, you know, six lines to make that face. And every one of those lines is perfect. And then reading about after he died and going, oh yeah, he would practice his style just like he would draw something 50 times until he could do it in three lines. Because he would just like burn it out. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know that. Because his, his art just looks so effortless. And it's just like... Exactly, yeah. It, it doesn't necessarily look like it takes like a super long time to do, but it still looks amazing. It, it's crazy. It's, it's that Picasso thing where it's like, I remember standing in line for a Picasso exhibit and there was like a video of him in his later years, like holding a paintbrush at arm's length and drawing something like a bird in four strokes with a paintbrush on a pane of glass. So there was no room for error. <laughs> and every line just linked up perfect. And he went, da, 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 and bird. And I just went, <laughs> There's a really good podcast called I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats, where one of the guys from Night Vale interviews John Darnielle of the Mountain Goats. A really good podcast about the creative process and stuff. And John Darnielle would say, if you played the same set list every night for eight nights straight, plus a rehearsal in the day with the same band, by the end of those eight days, you would be fried. But you would know that set list so well, and you would be able to play that set list so well because that set list would then be unrelated to how you were feeling when you played it. Mm -hmm. If you're playing something new and it's like, oh, I'm just going to play it, and if I'm sad today, maybe it comes out a little sadder. If I'm tired today, maybe it's a little more lackadaisical. If I'm like really focused, it comes out really tight and precise. He's like, but if you play that thing for eight days straight, by the end of it, how you play it has nothing to do with you anymore it's just it's the thing now yeah it's really like because i hear a lot of the time people talk about like stuff like you need like art blocks writer's blocks and Mm -hmm. it's like i mean that will happen and sometimes you can draw better like depending on how you're feeling but a lot of the time it's at least for me it's just like if i'm doing this like a lot every day like it doesn't become like it sounds so depressing, but it doesn't really become like an inspiration thing anymore. It's just more like, this is work that I'm getting done, and this is art that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't take inspiration, but it also doesn't like need it anymore. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of nice. Yeah, it's, it's like you're, you were doing a th- the, uh, I'm going to get a little Amy Poehler up in this, and say the doing of the thing is the doing of the thing. Mm-hmm. By doing the thing, you are therefore getting the thing done, and then you have done the thing. 
and that's okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, well, I think we've gone up our own butts about the creative process <laughs> quite enough now. <laughs> I need to get started.